Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. Season two of the Flourishing Therapreneur is brought to you by Thryzer. Thryzer provides therapists with an end-to-end, out-of-network billing support for their clients. Are you in private practice and want to support clients in getting reimbursed with their super bills and other out-of-network expenses, but don't have the bandwidth to do it alone? Look no further. Thryzer submits all of your insurance claims after every appointment to get faster reimbursement for your ideal clients. And even better, they handle all denials and slowdowns so that clients don't have to stress or contact insurance at all. The riser is affordable and seamless. It's absolutely free to sign up and the processing fee is only 3%. Partnering with Thryzer is an awesome way to make your private pay practice more accessible while positively improving your client experience, thus impacting your client retention and increasing your professionalism for your private practice. Better yet, The onboarding process is seamless and it's super easy to onboard clients and get started. So what are you waiting for? Check out the link in the show notes and use the code flourish to begin your three week free trial. Hi, Amy, and welcome to the flourishing therapreneur podcast. I'm so glad to have you with us today. If you want to take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience, I'm sure they would love to hear about your experience and what brings you on the show today. Awesome. Hi, I'm Amy Pinnell. I'm a registered social worker and a psychotherapist. So I work in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, I have a private practice and I'm also a highly sensitive person. Um, So I'm really passionate about helping fellow therapists, fellow social workers um, understand their sensitivity and learn how to thrive in their work. Um, Yeah, I did my master's degree in social work at the University of Victoria. And I worked, before starting my private practice, I worked for quite a few years um, with my local health authority in various mental health and substance use programs. Um, So I worked at mental health intake, supportive recovery houses, and then I did a few years um, working at addiction outpatient treatment where I did counseling and groups. And then, you know, as time went on, um, it seemed that um, what I needed was a bit more autonomy. I wanted to kind of to connect with the clients that really um, bring me energy that really light me up. So I shifted into private practice um, during the pandemic. Oh my goodness. Wow. 
Well, I appreciate you kind of speaking into your education and some of the pieces that have kind of built your journey. Um, and wow, I feel like that's probably resonates with a lot of the audience because it seems like a lot of people are taking that shift, you know, partially because of the pandemic, whether they got laid off or whether they realized, hey, I'm working from home, I could do it myself, you know, really believing in themselves and kind of cultivating courage. So I'm curious, do you mind if I just ask a little bit about the private practice piece real quick? Because I know a lot of people are trying to build their private yeah, practice. Yeah, so. go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. So remind me, where were you before you took that leap? Were you at an agency? Were you at another practice? Like describe where you were and then kind of what happened. Yeah. So I was working full-time for the government. So like my local health authority is like a provincial um government. So I was working within an addiction outpatient clinic program um, that, yeah, was, um, you know, everyone who accessed that service got it for free. And yeah, I worked there full time doing one on one counseling and groups. Um, and it's very much, you know, we were unionized, but it's very much a bureaucracy. Okay. Um, so the people making decisions around, you know, what happened in our program was many steps ahead. We didn't really know who they were. And, you know, and I think that, you know, I really love doing that work. And it was, um, you know, it wasn't a, the healthiest team. It wasn't the healthiest dynamic, like within kind of the agency itself, but then also our specific team. And I think COVID really like highlighted that. And mm -hmm. as a highly sensitive person, like, you know, I just really, you know, I could really sense that and it got to the point where I was like, yeah, this isn't working for me anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, that's so courageous. I think like it takes such a certain type of person, like a certain type of courage to not just start a private practice. I think a lot of people dream of it, but to actually do it and to do it during an uncertain time where the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of layers to that process. And that's really inspiring. Um, what were pieces of private practice that kind of like, did you feel like ready? I know some people struggle with the business side of it in terms of, you know, maybe you feel really strong as a clinician, but you think about how do I start a business structure or how do I, you know, I've never done intakes. Maybe you didn't do that in your process of your clinical hours. Maybe you did more of the one-on-one -on -one therapy or the groups, but the actual onboarding or the actual screening. But it does sound like when what you described from your experience, you had quite a range of different, you know, opportunities, but how did you learn the yeah. business pieces or what did you do to kind of teach yourself? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question because it really was, it felt like such a leap. And, you know, when I started thinking about it, started talking about it, there were absolutely, you know, I had, you know, friends, allies, people I worked with. And if I mentioned it to them, they're, you know, a lot of them thought I was insane, right? They're like, well, this is so stable, right? Like you have your benefits, you have your pension, like, why would you give that up for private practice? Um, and so what I started doing like, I think what really helped me with my shift was talking to other people who had worked um, for the same health authority and had already transitioned into private practice. Um, um, and I just picked their brains. And a big part of that, like part of that was getting a list of like my to do's, right? If I were to do this, how would I, what are the first steps? But also it was like, for me, just like, oh, it's possible right? Like, okay, like, you know, it's maybe not quite like, yes, it's a risk, but it's not as awful or terrifying, right? As I thought, like, here are people who are 
doing it and they're enjoying it and it's working well for them. Um, and then, yeah, it was definitely the business pieces, the financial pieces, the, you know, running a business piece that felt the most new for me, the part that I knew the least about. So, um, I just, yeah, I researched and I talked to people and asked so many questions. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you really, yeah, you were able to ask for help. You were able to Google things and kind of just figure out your to-do list. Yeah, watch um, a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering because I, for anyone that's listening, some people might have a sense of what a highly sensitive person is, but in case they don't, maybe we could describe and kind of outline what that is. That way, as we're talking about you building your private practice, or we talk about being a flourishing therapreneur as a highly sensitive therapist or person, people have a sense of what we're defining that as. So do you mind kind of educating the audience what is a highly sensitive person? Absolutely. Yeah. So high sensitivity or like highly sensitive person is, um, it's a personality trait. So it's an innate trait that we're born with. So there's around 15 to 20% of the population who fall under this kind of like highly sensitive category. Um, and I think um, a great way to remember like the characteristics of a highly sensitive person is actually through this acronym. The acronym does. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before. Yeah. Educate me. I feel like I've heard of that, but I can't tell you what it stands for. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I'll go into that. Yeah. So the D stands for depth of processing. Um, so basically what that means is that highly sensitive people, whatever they're taking in from their environment, like what they're observing, sensing, feeling, um, and their kind of internal sensations, they're processing it really deeply, right? So they're mm -hmm. um, interpreting and kind of integrating everything they're taking in on a really deep level. And then the O stands for overstimulation. So because highly sensitive folks, they, you know, they're, they pick up on a lot of subtleties in their environment, which I'll talk a bit about more, talk more about in a minute. Um, and they process things so deeply, they're more likely to become mm -hmm. overstimulated, which is basically like, like overwhelm. It can look kind of like anxiety or maybe more of like shutdown. It's basically our system just, you know, there's just so much um, going on internally that we become overwhelmed. Um, and then the E stands for um, emotional responsiveness and empathy. So it's actually two things, um, but emotional responsiveness speaks to um, the fact that highly sensitive people just, they feel emotions really strongly, really intensely. Mm. So that includes, you know, things like joy, right? It doesn't take much for a highly sensitive person to get this sense of joy or excitement. Um, you mm. know, little things like a sunset or a flower can really like fill them up with joy. Um, and at the same time, you know, they feel things like grief and sadness really deeply as well. So there's just this kind of more intense emotional responsiveness. Um, and then the empathy piece, highly sensitive people actually have more active mirror, mirror neurons. So they have this really like natural just sense of empathy. They can pick up what other people are feeling um, just from like being around them, um, which kind of, you know, is related, I think, to S, which is sensitivity to subtleties. So um, highly sensitive people are just they observe, they pick up on little things in their environment, little things with the, the people they're interacting with um, that other people might miss. Mm. And so it kind of, what it means is, you know, if you're a highly sensitive person, 
um, you know, in the same environment as someone who's not highly sensitive, you're going to be picking up a lot more stimuli than other people, the person beside you, and then you're going to be processing it really deeply. Um, so that's kind of the main characteristics of highly sensitive people. Oh my goodness. Even just in that description, I feel like I've just learned so much. <laughs> well, I don't know. You probably could speak into this more since it's one of your specialties and you know what you really educate people in. But I, I've found maybe it's because I'm more exposed to that concept through psychology, or maybe it is becoming more trendy or more word of mouth. But I feel like the, the phrase, I'm highly sensitive, or just that association is used a lot more. And so I think with that, if I'm honest, I don't have formal training in it and I'm still learning. I think I am an HSP, but I'm not hundred percent. So yeah, I'm almost wondering, like hearing what you described and me realize like, oh, there's actually a lot of layers to it that I assumed wrong. Like for some reason, I thought maybe mm -hmm. if you were highly sensitive, you, you used a word called, you said innate. And that is not a word I thought. I thought maybe, oh, maybe your lived experiences in childhood, your trauma made you a highly sensitive person. Because I'm imagining there's a little bit of overlap between a trauma response and a highly sensitive response, or maybe, maybe not. Um, but I feel like I just learned so much from how you described all of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you, you learned a little something. And yeah, I think there are a lot of kind of common misconceptions about uh, sensitivity and high sensitivity, like anyone who's been ever been called like, oh, you're too sensitive, if you've ever heard that, right? There's kind of this underlying message there. And a lot of people think, when they think of sensitivity, I think they think just of the emotional responsiveness or like just the overstimulation pieces, but there's all these other layers. And absolutely, you know, a trauma response can look really similar to overstimulation. Like, I think there's overlaps in that, um, but like, you know, what's actually happening internally is different. Um, and then, you know, so we are born with it. Um, but if you then, you know, live in a chaotic household or you experience trauma, if you're highly sensitive, you're going to uh, feel that on a much deeper level. It might impact mm -hmm. you more. So, you know, all, all trauma is valid. I don't want to undermine anyone's... Um, lived experiences. But um, for someone who's an HSP, there may be environments or situations that, you know, th that kind of stimulate or end up creating, um, you know, trauma responses, they might perceive that or feel that as a trauma, when a non HSP might not have that same experience, it might not have the mm -hmm. same impact if they're not picking up on the same subtleties, or they're not processing things in the same way. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I feel like that's such a um, a lens that's so valuable to to translate as a therapist, right? And when we start kind of you know wrapping that conversation mm -hmm. around what it's like not just to be a highly sensitive person, but a therapist, um, I'm imagining that is a component that really shows up. Um, and I'm wondering if you could maybe share what like maybe two or three reasons why sensitive people make fantastic therapists, like why. Why is that something that maybe should be looked at as a strength or um, as a gift instead of kind of like what you describe, where sometimes people use the word sensitive in like an insulting way or in a belittling way? Um, how does that make um, make HSPs fantastic therapists? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because there are so many strengths. And I think that's, that's a piece that's really lacking. And I love highlighting that. Um, 
And, you know, I think one of the most obvious ones is, you know, what I, with that does acronym was, is the empathy piece, right? Like that empathy piece comes so naturally for highly sensitive folks um, to be able to, you know, kind of read between the lines, kind of sense what's going on for somebody and also picking up on the subtleties, right? Like noticing um, little behaviors, little, little movements that they can, you know, mirror back or just like, you know, use that to help people feel really seen and heard, validated, understood. Um, but um, in addition to that, like highly sensitive folks, they're, I'll say they're like mindful decision makers, right? Like mm. I think with all that input they're getting and the processing things so deeply means yeah. that they often like pause and reflect before acting. Um, mm. And I think that there is a real value in that. Um, you know, especially in therapy, right? Like taking that pause, leaving a little room for silence, um, kind of really integrating processing um, before kind of jumping in. So often their decisions are really mindful mm. and they can be really creative too. Like, you know, taking all that different input, all that information they're um, absorbing from the world around them, from their clients, and coming up with really, you know, integrating it, coming up with these really beautiful, creative um, ideas or solutions. I know um, a lot of a lot of highly sensitive people have the problem having like too many ideas. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I relate to that so much. Know, it's just all the ideas. Yes. <laughs> and it's hard. It's like, yeah, it's conflicting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, we got to be careful that we don't just live in ideal world and not actually mm. pick something and act on it. But, you know, having all of those ideas, like it really kind of um, allows for this creative process, which I think can be really helpful, like, you know, within a therapy session, um, you know, you're kind of on the spot, right? You never know what's going to happen in that session. Yeah. Um, so to be able to to bring in, you know, that creativity and some of those ideas that pop up. Yeah. Um, highly sensitive people really thrive in careers um, that offer a sense of meaning and purpose. So I think, you know, even though, you know, we're at risk of overstimulation, if we're not careful with our energy and our boundaries, like um, there is this pull towards doing something really meaningful. Um, and I think that therapy is a really great fit, right? We can kind of have that slower pace, but we're like, you know, create like supporting folks. And um, there's such a beautiful purpose within that work. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense because there is that piece of, um, like you said, the empathy and the meaning, like that kind of, I'm imagining as a compass in a certain sense for alignment or um, feeling incongruence with who you are. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Like highlighting that piece of therapy being such meaningful work. And I almost wonder if you could even take it a step further, like kind of in the same way you talked about your transition into private practice. And then I'm also in private practice. Uh, but just that piece of, do you think that adds another layer because the work itself is meaningful, but when you're able to choose and to honor your HSP qualities of, you choose your schedule, you choose the clients, you choose the atmosphere, the room, but you have more say and you have a lot of creativity, which you said HSPs thrive in that. So I'm imagining there's, I mean, I would love to hear more of your experience and what your specialty is with that, but I would imagine that would make you a really ideal person to be in private practice potentially. I would say absolutely. Like yes to everything you just touched on there, right? Like I think 
um, it does suit us. Like I think the the risk we face is like being too isolated, but like other than that, I think it is a really great fit. Like to use that creativity, mm-hmm. um, like it allows us to lean into all those strengths um, of the creativity and the empathy, and um, while also we have the autonomy to make the boundaries we need to make to be well, right? Mm-hmm. To reduce our risk of overstimulation. Because um, we, yeah, we can create the schedule we want to create, right? We can charge a fee that allows us to see the number of clients that make sense for us. We can niche down and, you know, focus on the folks that really energize us um, and rather than working with folks that maybe, you know, are take more energy. Yeah. yeah. Well, kind of adding to that, I'm wondering if you could speak into like kind of the ways that being an HSP makes you more susceptible to burnout or because I imagine like if you think about like, I don't know what terminology I would use, but like your highest version of like health or um, taking care of yourself as an HSP, I imagine you can thrive, you can flourish. And I imagine an HSP that maybe is neglecting themselves or is compromising or isolating that would show up differently. So in what ways um, does it make us more susceptible to burnout? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, when I really get down to it, I think it's about like energy, right? So, you know, we have all these strengths, right? We're able to sit with somebody and be so empathetic and like, you know, absorbed all these subtleties and then we process everything so deeply. We feel all the emotions so deeply, um, which makes us amazing therapists, makes us be able to show up for our clients in such a full way and offer such amazing service. And that takes so much energy. Mm. Um, so I think that that's where um, we can get burnt out, right? So if we are seeing more clients than we really have energy for within a day, um, or maybe we're doing back-to-back sessions or, you know, we're kind of going beyond our energy capacity. I think that's where we can really set ourselves up for burnout. Um, yeah, because it, you know, it does take a lot of energy. And then of course we want to be mindful of that overstimulation as well. If we're, um, yeah, just, you know, super jam packing our schedules or, um, you know, I think, you know, we're just kind of, um, responding in a chaotic way to like requests that maybe, you know, like, oh, this is urgent if we jump at everything, um, if we're not making boundaries around like even like our phone use or like social media, all of those things um, can kind of, you know, contribute to overstimulation. And in the end, it's like taking up more and more of our energy. Yeah. Would you almost say that like, because I'm just trying to track some of the pieces that you said when you described what an HSP is, do you almost feel like there's a couple qualities that contradict themselves? Because I almost feel like you were talking about like the piece of being really creative and like really, um, like you mentioned, like all the ideas that some HSPs have. And I'm almost wondering if like that quality or that piece can kind of conflict with the piece of empathy, where then it's like not maybe not checking in with yourself always. And then like realizing, oh, like I'm actually holding too much or like this idea feels heavier than it does as a thought. When you actually do it, it feels different. Like, do you ever feel like there's a disconnect for HSPs where maybe 
they have the ideas, but they don't really always check in with themselves about the energy it's going to require to do it. Or like you're saying, like those things of like overscheduling or, you know, maybe they have a consultation with a client and they're like, oh my gosh, this is my ideal client. So I'll say yes, but they're not looking at the full picture, which is you already have five clients that day. A sixth client is going to be burnout mode, you know, or, you know, you check your social media during sessions or not during after or in between sessions. And then you realize, oh, like that actually wasn't life-giving. That was actually energy sucking. But in that moment, it felt like a great idea. So like, is there ever this kind of like conflict because of the, the different qualities that almost complement if used well, but if they're not used well, I could see them almost being in conflict with each other. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was thinking about that earlier today. I think just that this, our deep sense for empathy often has us like overextending ourselves. Like I think Mm -hmm. as highly sensitive people, we really need to be like, if we have a good sense of what our energy and capacity is, and we've um, learned that we are allowed to make boundaries for ourselves. And like, Mm -hmm. we kind of have that inner knowledge and also the skills to create um balance and set boundaries then you know i think we're pretty great at you know flourishing right at at managing our energy levels at feeling feeling good in our lives um but if we don't have that then yeah like we're gonna be pulled always pulled you know we want to help we want to support we can sense other people's feelings um there's this risk of taking on other people's feelings as our own um and, you know, it's, you know, some, some HSPs, you know, or I'd say there's a tendency towards people pleasing as well. Um, and yeah, and, you know, it's the empathy is a great quality and we have to be mindful of, you know, the impact it has on us, right? If our attention is always outwards, we can miss like, okay, wait a second, where's my energy level at? And I will say sometimes it is trial and error, right? Like sometimes we need to see that sixth client be like, oh, that was too much. Okay, now I know. Like since I've started private practice, I'm like constantly tweaking my schedule um, to get it better and better towards what my ideal is. Um, and same with my kind of niche it's kind of shifted over time as I'm like, oh, wait, this is who really lights me up. This is where I feel the most. Um, well, like the, like I'm using my skills the best I can, um, which is energizing. Yeah. And I think like, cause I'm just tapping into like the piece for me of like, when you were sharing that of like, if my client's schedule shifts, sometimes like my schedule will shift even more because it'll be like, you might have five clients, but then if you have a different client switch out and now you have a different presenting issue or personality that changes the whole tone of your day or like five clients might feel too much or maybe you want to do four that day or like do you know what I mean like it kind of I feel like it's maybe and you probably could speak into this too but like the importance of checking in with yourself as an HSP because what you say yes to can change based off of a lot of factors especially if they're tied to empathy or creativity or uh, pieces that aren't consistent that other people impact, not just you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think checking in with ourselves um, is so important, right? And um, yeah, and I, you know, I think that that's kind of like step one in like, you know, taking care of our energy um, and also like, um, yeah, just being able to show up as our, as our best selves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like even just 
like how am I feeling right totally yeah Yeah. well I'm wondering as we kind of metabolize some of the stuff you're sharing and in the heartbeat of the flourishing therapreneur when thinking about thriving or flourishing how can you do that like what are tips you have for highly sensitive therapists to flourish yeah yeah, I mean, I think one would be to, um, yeah, like kind of what, just what we were talking about, like, you know, checking inward, um, looking inward, checking in with yourself and getting a real sense of like what like what and how much input is, is too much for you. Um, so creating um, boundaries around your schedule, around your time, around your energy so that um, you're not taking in too much. And there are going to be days where, like you said, like something unexpected happens and like, oh, that was a bit too much. Um, But, you know, it's a work in progress. And on the average day, you know, we want to be uh, making sure that we're we're not um, chronically overstimulating ourselves, like chronically putting Mm -hmm. ourselves in like these situations where it's too much and too much. And I think Um, you know, you had a conversation with Liz Gray about organization. And I think that, um, you know, some of the things she said are great ways to do that, right? Like having systems in place, um, Mm. whether it's for your intake uh, process or for your finances, having a clean space, right? So you're not also picking up on all these little things um, that you can see on your desk that, you know, like for a highly sensitive person, you're going to be observing all these little things. So reducing stimulation and input that way. Um, but also, you know, like figuring out, okay, how many clients a day makes sense for me? How many days a work do I, uh, days a week do I want to do that kind of one-on-one work? Um, and watch which clients, right? Which, which there may be, it might become clear that like certain clients there, you know, you feel completely depleted after it's like, okay, then that's, you're not the best fit for them, right? Um, and building up that, confidence in referring out, like, you know, just having a great list of folks that you can refer out, right? And matching, um, making sure they get the services um, they deserve, but not at the cost of, um, you know, then you're depleted for your next client. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think the other piece is making sure that we protect um, and offer ourselves time to process because, you know, in the, like at the end of the day, you're seeing clients one-on-one in your practice and, you know, we need time to process what happened, right? We need time to process everything we, we picked up on our own feelings about that. Um, and so making time for that rest, like lots of downtime basically. Um, and so like for me, I, you know, I always have, I have 30 minutes between every client and that gives me that chance to, uh, yeah, like that's one, it's like a gift to myself. And I always, you know, I always take a lunch break. I always eat my lunch, like things like that. Um, and, you know, if there's a certain, you know, leaving work on time, if you kind of have, you know, a certain number of hours that work well for you in a day, things like that, kind of setting up those boundaries for yourself so that you, it's already scheduled into your day that you have these moments uh, to decompress, to process, to kind of reset. And um, yeah, April Snow, she's a highly sensitive therapist who, you know, I've connected with a few times. And one thing that she, I think it must have been a blog post or something she recently put out about 
um, after writing your note, like writing like your own feelings about the session. And Ooh. I just thought I was like, wow, that's like, I give it a try. This is very helpful to like, write. the session's done after not just after the notes done but after i've taken a moment to be like oh what's happening how do i feel about like, this yeah did that bring yeah yeah is there anything going on for me here what do i need yeah well i appreciate you naming that too because i think there is a piece as a therapist and then if you have the layer of being a highly sensitive therapist where we do hold such space for our clients and we do empathize and put ourselves in their situation and really carry their stories with them and yet, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in session, it's all about the client. But when you also step back and remind yourself, I'm human, <laughs> I am hearing and witnessing someone's story. I'm a part of their story. I am re-traumatized with their story if they're sharing a trauma and you're, you know, holding that with them. You are human. So it's still going to impact you. And sometimes we kind of neglect the human side of ourselves or you know, and the part of that is our training of, you know, it's not about us and really keeping that integrity of the therapeutic relationship. And it's a disservice to ourselves if we forget that we're human as a business owner or as a therapist or, you know, after session or even during session, taking care of ourselves, whatever that looks like. So that's a really cool tip. I, I'll have to try that and kind of have my own process with it too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm so glad you just, you know, just that acknowledgement of like, yeah, we are human, right? And like, that's okay, right? We don't have to be therapy robots, like we can take care of our, our emotions. And like, and you know, you mentioned within session, I think even little things like noticing, you know, oh, I'm kind of tensing, like, oh, I'm going to take a deep breath or like having a glass of water to make eye contact or to just, you know, like little things like that. I we can do to take care of ourselves because you know yeah we we love the work we do and it's so important and it's you know and it's tough we we need to be able to take care of ourselves as well um and i i think along kind of along that line is um highly sensitive people often need a bit more like self-care especially deep self-care um i'm not sure if you've like heard of like kind of like simple self-care teach me what do you tell me more about this deep self-care because that resonates like even just that word is like ooh, that feels different so tell me more yeah so like simple self-care is kind of more like that surface level self-care like you know watching netflix and taking baths like those kinds of things which are great i think you know i definitely i watch lots of netflix it's an important piece of my self-care um but the deep self-care is more of that like soul nourishing stuff mm. like when we get really deep into like our inner world or, or our connection with like nature or something bigger than ourselves um so it's the stuff that really kind of it either brings us a lot of joy or it you know it brings us a lot of nourishment um so things like for me it looks like meditation is a big piece um move, mindful movement practice spending time in nature um journaling and yeah things like that where we're like really connecting um and also like creative endeavors like painting for me it's painting but you know anything that's like where we're creating right we're kind of present in the moment we're maybe self-expressing or we're you know just or just doing it for fun right where um at the end like you feel like refreshed you feel rejuvenated Mm. maybe you feel a little bit closer to yourself Um, those are kind of more deep self-care practices. 
Amazing. I feel like even just you educating myself and the audience on that, if people are like me and didn't know the difference between the two, um, you really put a language for checking in with ourselves, right? Of noticing, because if we just kind of put self-care as like an umbrella, um, we might constantly be doing like the surfacey or the simple ones. But when we check in with ourselves, it's like, oh, I haven't nourished myself. And I like how you brought in those very like deep, rewarding pieces, journaling, nature, um, you know, creative expression, because those are the things kind of bringing it back to being human. Those are the things that like make you feel human and also connect with your humanness because watching Netflix is nice Mm -hmm. to kind of like calm your mind, but it's also distracting and kind of like a self-soothing technique that, you know, isn't necessarily bad, but isn't necessarily I don't know, like soul nourishing in the way that you're describing some of those other activities. And yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, sometimes that's exactly what we need is just a little bit of self-soothing, a little distraction. Um, And if that's all we do, we generally, like my experience, like working with highly sensitive folks is that we, we, we don't feel, we still feel tired a lot of the time. Like we don't kind of um, get that full refresh or that rejuvenated yeah, feeling. Um, totally. And we need um, these other deeper self-care practices. Um, yeah, like it, it helps us thrive, right? It helps us continue mm-hmm. to be able to do the work and show up feeling energized. And and I really love the way you described it as like connecting with our humanness. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't like framed it that way, but that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Amy, this conversation is just, it feels soul nourishing. It feels like, um, I feel like we could keep talking and I want you to come back at some point. Cause even as some of the points you've listed, I'm like, Oh, we could go deeper in that. I want to explore things Absolutely. further, but <laughs> I'm imagining the audience is also feeling similar. Um, so how can they follow you? How can they learn from you? What, what are next steps they can take in terms of partnering with you or learning from you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm most active on my Instagram account. Um, it's at Sensitive Social Worker. Um, but I also have my website, www.sensitivesocialworker.com. Um, and and Facebook, same name, Sensitive Social Worker. Awesome. Um, and yeah, and I did like if folks are interested in going, you know, if you're like, okay, that deep self-care thing sounds great, but it's brand new or like I need a little help with that. I did just launch um, a program. It's called Social Worker Refresh. And, you know, I realize not everyone listening is going to have a social work background or like, you know, be a social worker. Um, but really, it's for anyone who kind of has like that heart for social work, the heart for giving, you know, that caregiving yeah. heart. Um, and it's 14 days of different um just 15 minute deep self care practices. It includes journaling, meditation, movement, and art. Um, so that might be something folks could explore. And you can learn about that on my website. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy. It is such a pleasure having you. And um, I appreciate all that you've given and shared with us in the Flourishing Therapreneur community. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been lovely to chat. Hi, Flourishing Therapreneurs. I wanted to hop on and share that our course Flourishing in Private Practice is coming spring 2022. If you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, a 
associate, or even a licensed therapist that perhaps is either wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss. This course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. This course will be open for enrollment for two weeks in the spring, and then we'll close until the fall for a second round of enrollment. If this is you and you're wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our mailing list and to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. I'm looking forward to continuing to grow and flourish together as therapists and entrepreneurs. As therapreneurs, let's go. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.